Ladies and gentlemen, we are off to the races. And with an explosive campaign announcement, Kanye West is already polling at 2%. That's huge. That puts him on par with the libertarian candidate. It puts him above a ton of the Democratic candidates. Dare I say this could be the big... Wait, what? Kanye West bows out of 2020 presidential race already? I've been had. (laughs) When Kanye West announced he was running for president a week ago, a bunch of journalists were like, don't do it. Don't take the bait. Kanye's going to do a Kanye. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The reporting now is that Kanye West is, in fact, bowing out of the 2020 race. But there are some serious implications based on what we've learned from these polls, including Kanye West. And this explains why I think he may be dropping out and maybe why he announced he would run in the first place. And this should actually scare Democrats. Ladies and gentlemen, when Kanye West was included in the polls, it hurt Donald Trump. Now that to me is crazy. I wondered. You see, a lot of people were saying that if Kanye runs, it's going to help Trump because it's not going to pull any of his core base away. It's going to pull away voters from Joe Biden. Potentially, the black vote would vote for Kanye West because they don't like Biden either. But as it turns out, it may not be the case. It may be that Donald Trump has done such a good job catering to the black community that he actually has more support than he realized. And in fact, it hurt him more. But there is some other data. We've got a weird mishmash of stories here. Is Trump doing bad? Is he doing good? Dare I say, there are some stories showing that Donald Trump may be on track for a secret landslide victory. It's not just about his enthusiasm. It's about, well, Donald Trump's shattering records in the primary. He's already got 17 million votes, and that's huge. That's more than we've seen from the past incumbent presidential primaries for Obama, George Bush. And the Norpoth model says that gives Trump a 91% chance to win. But wait, there's some bad news. You see, the enthusiasm gap with Trump is supposed to be his saving grace. More people are enthusiastic about voting for Trump than Joe Biden. But what people aren't considering is that perhaps nobody cares about Joe Biden in the first place. They just want to vote against Trump. We saw that with the Pew research. This is potentially really bad news for Trump, but it's hard to know exactly what it means. So I don't know how else to, to say it other than we got some good news for Trump. We got some bad news for Trump, but you're going to have to try and figure it out for yourself as to what you think it really means. But we're going to get started talking about Kanye West's impact on this election and what it means, why he may be dropping out. You see, the Democrats were arguing there was a conspiracy afoot. Kanye West in a secret meeting with Donald Trump had a plan to steal voters from the black community from Joe Biden, which is the, the stupidest thing ever. And, and Kanye West actually nuked the Democrats over this, saying, you think that you're owed these votes, that he's stealing them from you? No, the votes might, go, might be going to Trump. Kanye might have accidentally just proved that a decent amount of the vote actually would have gone to Trump, because with him included, Trump did worse by about two, uh, one point, I believe. Now, the polls kind of don't make sense. So we'll break down this data and we'll give you the breaking news first. Kanye West bowing out before we get started on today's uh, most, I don't know, fun and absurd story. Head over to TimCast.com slash it. If you'd like to support my work, there are many ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is actually subscribe to this channel. I don't normally say that, but the engagement from liking and subscribing tells YouTube that you like this content more than anything else good. That and sharing the video. But as of recent, I've come to believe that 
engaging directly with the channel. Uh, hopefully, we'll just tell YouTube, this is a good channel. You really like it. So please consider subscribing. You know, it's actually a lot. There's a lot of people who watch and don't. So if you like the channel, consider it. Otherwise, just smash that like button. Let's read the news from the New York Post. Kanye West reportedly bows out of the 2020 presidential race. It was short lived. And I must say I'm sad because I'm going to be real with all with, with you guys. I do believe Kanye West in 2024 can be a unity candidate. I'm not even kidding. They say must have been his late registration. Rap superstar Kanye West has already bowed out of his late entry bid for the presidency, according to a report. The billionaire rap icon who announced his entry into the presidential arena in a July 4th tweet told election strategist Steve Kramer that he was out of the race, New York Magazine reported Tuesday. Kramer was one of the campaign staffers hired by West to help get his name on the ballots in Florida, South Carolina, and other states, according to the magazine. Last week, according to Kramer, West's team was working over the weekend there, formalizing the FEC and other things that they've got to do when you have a lot of corporate lawyers involved. The election strategist on the West campaign was tasked with getting signatures to help the presidential hopeful get on the ballot in those states, which Kramer said there was significant enthusiasm for. We had overwhelming support to get him on the ballot, he said. Asked by the magazine on Wednesday of last week, however, about West's presidential bid, the rapper's publicist stopped answering calls. Eventually, Kramer told the magazine he's out. Asked why West was abandoning his presidential bid, Kramer said, I'll let you know what I know once I get all our stuff canceled. We had over 180 people out here today. On Thursday, Kramer maintained his support for West, telling the magazine, I have nothing good or bad to say about Kanye. Everyone has their personal decision about why they make decisions. Running for president has to be one of the hardest things for someone to actually contemplate at that level. West has not personally confirmed that he has suspended his presidential bid. Speaking to Forbes magazine in an interview published last Wednesday, the musician said he was taking the red hat off with his interview and uh, starting his own party, the birthday party. All right, all right, all right. Now it's being reported he's out. We're going to have to hear it from the man himself. So I guess we'll just say it's reported that he's dropping out. But I will, I will tell you, I don't think Kanye realized the legal implications of announcing a presidential campaign. How much money does Kanye get from foreign interests? I'd imagine quite a bit. He probably sells a lot of products and they probably said, listen, once you announce you're running for president, you are going to be under intense scrutiny, legal scrutiny. You're going to have to stop taking money from these areas, step down from this company, back away from that company, sell that property. And he probably said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I got to do all these things right now. Okay, I'm out. Maybe, maybe we don't know for sure, but I'd imagine because I've seen this before. A lot of people step up to the plate thinking you can just announce you're running. No way, man. If you, uh, you know, especially for people who get donations from foreign individuals, he might have a contract with some foreign individuals that would you can't maintain. You have to step back from his companies. Maybe he does, he's not ready to do that. Maybe he was dipping his toes in the water, got, got a little too cold for him. And he says, maybe 2024. We'll see. Because for all we know, he's going to come out and say, nah, that's not right. I'm on that. We're, we're doing this. We'll see how it plays out. But take a look at this. This is, this is incredible. Kanye West gets 2% in national presidential poll. I know the whole Kanye West thing is funny, and it may be silly to a lot of you, but this is really important data. Who were the people who were going to vote for Kanye? I really do not believe Trump's core base all of a sudden was like, I love Trump, but Kanye, you got me. They're probably moderate individuals. They're probably black voters who are like, I'll vote for Trump because Kanye said to, right? I, be, I, I believe in Kanye. I trust him in what he says. 
And they're probably, you know, it's not even about the black vote. It's probably a lot of younger voters, people who aren't into politics, who just respect Kanye. He's a self-made man. You know, he's, he's, he's rich. He's, he's successful. People want to be like him. Some people, they used to be, they used to want to be like Trump until he became president. Well, Kanye steps up. He spoke to a lot of young people and they probably listened. Those votes were drifting away from Trump. Check this out. According to the political uh, poll numbers, they say national poll, Biden was at 48, Trump at 40, Jorgensen was at one and Hawkins was at one. When Kanye West is included in the poll, Biden was at 48 and Trump went to 39, giving Biden a one point uh, boost. Kanye West got two, Jorgensen got two, Hawkins got one. Now, the first thing that any any child could have noticed is that the numbers don't add up properly. When you look at the first poll, you have uh, uh, with Biden and Trump and uh, Jorgensen and Hawkins, it's, it's, it's only 90%. So many people were wondering, what about West changed these numbers? I can't tell you, but there's probably other people involved in the polls and we don't know exactly what the questions were. So, okay, sure. The numbers didn't add up the exact same way, but either way between Biden and Trump, Fine. We, you know, we, we understand. They say the poll was conducted July 9th, less than a week after West's Independence Day tweet declaring his intention to launch his campaign. We must now realize the promise of America by trusting God, unifying our vision and building our future. I am running for president of the United States. 2020 vision, Kanye West said. In a subsequent interview with Forbes, West, once an ardent Trump supporter, said he was taking the red hat off, referencing the president's signature MAGA hat. This, this, this we all know. So again, I, I throw it back to this. I think we might be learning something interesting. What about the Kanye West overlap with Trump? Like, what, what, what is that? We can't say definitively. We, we, we don't know. But it could be that because Kanye West came out for Trump, he actually gave Trump a lot of support who normally would not have supported him. With Kanye West saying he was going to run, that support walked back and it hurt Trump. Maybe the reason Kanye West is dropping out is because they realized in the polls it was going to be hurting Donald Trump. So, you know, again, a lot of people point to this poll and they said, where does where do these extra points come from? Why did Jorgensen do better when Kanye West is in there? You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have all the answers, but let's uh, let's jump forward and see what's going on with Trump. Check this out. This is from June 20th, but I got some updated data. Trump's primary vote totals trounce previous incumbents number. They say President Trump is betting big on the primaries with no serious challengers for the Republican Party nomination and high approval numbers among the GOP's rank and file, Trump could have cruised through the spring campaign season like most incumbent presidents do. Instead, he traveled to 18 states for campaign rallies and spent more than $155 million to rack up high primary vote totals for a nomination he had no chance of losing. Quote, I don't remember any uncontested primary campaign for a sitting president like this. Stony Brook University President Helmut Norpolth told The Post, people don't normally turn out in large numbers for a race without a challenger. But in 23 of 27 states that held primaries, both this year and in 2012, when Obama ran for re-election, Trump has racked up higher raw vote totals than Obama did, often doubling or tripling his predecessor's numbers. His primary vote totals also beat President George W. Bush in 04. Now they say, Norpolth says, Donald Trump has a 91% chance of winning. He created this primary forecast model most of you are probably familiar with. Goes back to 1912 at the start of the primaries. And he says it was only wrong in two elections. This could mean Donald Trump is on track to win it again. A lot of people seem to think so. And a lot of people who want to vote for, for Biden actually believe, yes, Trump has secret voters. 
Now, I'm sorry, Biden supporters. This is a fact. Trump does have secret voters. And these people, they know it. There are a lot of people who don't like Trump, want to vote for Biden. But we all learned that important lesson in 2012. Trump's got a secret voter base and we can't track them properly. We don't know who this is. They're not polled properly and it could have gotten bigger. Last year, the New York Times said it was definitely getting bigger. His base was bigger than ever. Maybe that's still true today. Because when you talk about Trump's support, when you talk about approval rating, that's not the same thing as Trump's base. Maybe the New York Times wasn't making that equation. But I would argue if you know Trump's base, they're not going anywhere. There are people who are saying Trump 100% no matter what. There are some people who are just like, I guess, Trump. Those people can move. Those people can say, you know what? No, I'm not doing this anymore. But if Trump's base has grown, and I truly believe it has, then Trump has an edge and they will not see it coming. They can put out every poll in the universe. They can talk about how Joe Biden is leading Trump by the double digits. I don't know, man. I got I to gotta say, there are people that I know that are voting for Trump now that I that didn't vote last time. It's it's true. I've mentioned this before that I've I, I am leaning very heavily towards Trump for one specific reason. Afghanistan. Trump is trying to withdraw our troops. Glenn Greenwald is writing about this. This can't be denied at this point. Look, man, I have my reservations about Trump's character, his personality, his leadership abilities. But when I'm sitting here thinking like I'm somebody who voted for Obama the first time, felt like I was misled, not the second time and not in 2016, because I just I'm like, nah, I'm not playing these games. These people are empty promises. I don't care about Trump. I don't care about Hillary, whatever. I'm out. Well, Trump's trying to withdraw from Afghanistan. And that to me was huge. And now I'm, I'm sitting here reading the story from Glenn Greenwald, where he's like the Democrats and the Republicans are trying to block him. What do we get? A decent amount of Republicans, well, a small amount of Republicans and Democrats tried to help Trump withdraw our troops in the Middle East. And that included Matt Gates and Tulsi Gabbard. And that said to me, you know what? For all of the faults, for all of you know, his character defects and, and the problems we've seen, I don't know. That's, that's a core issue for me. It's one of the most important. So with me saying something that bold, I'm not, con- I'm not confirmed. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to wear a red hat or anything like that. I'm just saying if that's what we can get in, in a 2020 Trump uh, uh, administration, the withdrawal of our troops in the Middle East, yeah, yeah, I'd vote for him. We'll see. We'll see, though. I'm not 100%. But then you've got my buddy, Adam. You know, he's a co-host on, my, on the TimCast IRL podcast I do every night, Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. live over at youtube.com slash TimCastIRL. Check it out. He went, he, he was just kind of a default liberal neutral guy. The more he reads, he's 100% saying he's voting for Trump. These are the secret Trump voters, the people not being polled, the people that are being ignored. And guess what? A Monmouth University poll says Biden leads, but many anticipate the secret Trump vote. That's huge, man. They say, even though many people are saying they're going to support Trump, they say uh, a lot of people, um, well, I don't know if, where, where they actually say it. They say, despite the challengers poll lead, Voters are evenly divided, divided on who they think will win the Keystone State's electoral votes this year, as a majority believe that their communities hold a, a number of secret Trump voters. The polls won't find them. That's why I think the Kanye West thing is so important. Laugh all you want. I've had my laughs. We get it. I think Kanye's serious, but seriously, take a look at that data. I believe there's going to be, at least from the data we're seeing now, we've got, uh, I believe it's blackenterprise.com. We've got the, the, the emergence of personalities like Candace Owens, the Hodge twins, Terrence Williams, and Kanye West himself. I think not only were the polls unable to track non-college educated white voters, they are now missing this core black community vote that may swing for Trump. And that may double Trump's secret vote. We just don't know for sure. But let me show you some hard numbers. 
I bring you now to the results of the 2020 Republican Party presidential primaries. Donald Trump so far in the 2020 Republican primary has 17.67 million votes. Bill Weld, for some reason, he's got 412,000 votes. Donald Trump has a 94% advantage. Let's go back in time. 2012. This is the next important election because Barack Obama was the Democratic incumbent, meaning he was running mostly unopposed and he, he was the incumbent. So based off his first term and he did win re-election, how many votes did he get? 6.1 million votes. Whoa. Let's take a look at uh, George W. Bush. 7.8 in his re-election campaign. Donald Trump at 17 million. Now, the Norpoth model, the forecast says Donald Trump has a 91% chance to win based off these primary numbers. Could Trump have skewed this by going out and primarying, uh, I'm sorry, by going out and, and campaigning the way he did? How many of these campaigns throughout the past hundred or so years that Norpoth tracked had incumbents who did what Trump did? This is unprecedented. He's on it. He's uncontested. He doesn't need to, to campaign, but he is. And that's getting a bigger primary vote turnout. Could that be skewing the forecast model? Or maybe Trump knows the secret. The secret is if you get them to vote in the primary, they turn out to vote in the general. Could it be correlation and causation issue that it's possible? Trump knows that if he can get out people to vote in the primary, he can then they will be ready in the general. Perhaps it's a test. Donald Trump wants to see if he has that same enthusiasm, and he's more than proven it. Now, here's what's interesting. What we're seeing with the, with the primary model, giving Trump a 91% chance of victory, I find fascinating when you look at the current results of the Democratic primary. In the popular vote, Joe Biden has 17.59 million primary votes, and Donald Trump, 17.6. If you add up all of the Democratic votes, I mean, the Democratic primary has substantially more votes than Trump does. But I don't think it's a good metric. And I don't think you can extrapolate any real knowledge from this. The reason why the primary votes for the Democrats are so high is because it's a real contest. A Bernie Sanders voter is scared Joe Biden will win, so they'll vote. A Joe Biden supporter is scared Bernie will win, so they'll go vote. Donald Trump supporters know he's going to win no matter what and just don't care. But for some reason, still turned out to vote and still he's beating Biden. So I do think that's how the forecast model is playing into this and why they think Donald Trump is going to win. Because uh, again, just to make it simple, people need to vote for Biden to stop the rise of the far left. People need to vote for Bernie to stop the establishment Democrats. People don't need to vote for Trump. They want to vote for Trump. That's the important bit in the enthusiasm gap. But that brings me to, to some potentially bad news for Donald Trump. Listen, man, I said it before and I will say it again. If you think you won. You are wrong. You are getting complacent. You are sitting back. You're going to crack a beer and you're going to ignore it and you will lose. And I'm not talking about just Trump support. I'm saying Biden supporters too. I don't care who you want to vote for. Okay. If you think you got this one in the bag, you got another thing coming. Now, I understand we got utter bedlam across the country when it comes to mail-in voting, votes going uncounted, 100,000 in California, 65K in other parts of the country, thousands of votes in New Orleans because the post office is making mistakes. We got youth voters, minority voters, first time voters getting rejected because when it comes to voting, people often need help and they'll ask the people at the polling station like, well, hey, what, what do I need to fill out? What do I need to press? 
So what's happening with these mail-in ballots is you get a lot of first-time voters, many young voters and minority voters who probably do want to vote for a vote against Donald Trump. They don't know how to do it. So they're not doing it or they're getting rejected. But that's 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 less, less important right now. Let's talk about just the, the who's going to come out to vote. Why Trump, not Biden, might have an enthusiasm problem. Now, I got to be honest, when I see headlines like this, especially from 538, my eyes roll so much I faint from dizziness. Yeah, 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 we get it. The good news for Trump is actually the bad news for Trump. <sighs> Spare me. I'm tired of seeing it. Actually, Donald Trump's secret polling may be a bad thing. Donald Trump just landed a perfect triple backflip and got a, got three tens from the judges. Why, that's actually a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donald Trump's enthusiasm is proven in the numbers that people want to vote for Trump. So when I saw this, yes, I'm tired of it. But to be fair, they do bring up a good point. And if you're if you're a Trump supporter, you would be wise to heed these warnings. They say that while Joe Biden may have no enthusiasm, there is enthusiasm for voting against Donald Trump. That's the issue. The story says the Trump campaign has found its silver lining in an avalanche of awful polls. Voters who support Trump are enthusiastic about his candidacy. And that is a very important metric, which tends to uh, favor the candidate who ends up winning. So enthusiasm is important and Trump is favored. Polls consistently show that Trump supporters are more excited to vote for him than presumptive Democratic Joe Biden supporters are to vote for him. Joe Biden doesn't have supporters. I mean, I get it. He does have he has some, but come on. For, For example, half of Trump supporters in a recent USA Today Suffolk University poll said they were very excited about their candidate compared to just 27% of Biden backers. Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale even described their enthusiasm advantage over Biden as the most important factor in the campaign. Now, before I get you to, to, to the, you know, the, the, the important bit here, I want to point out, I do think this is more important and I do think it's still good news for Trump. Trump supporters are coming out for several reasons. Many of them, it's, it's, there's, a, there's support for Trump excitement in the air and enthusiasm. There is fear over what happens to this country if Joe Biden wins. And there's a bit of anger for the Democrats. But in my personal opinion, okay, I just think people are more excited for Trump and more scared about the damage of the far left and the chaos and the loss of our economy to to, to China and the rise of China. So they want to vote for Trump. Joe Biden supporters hate Trump. They're not voting for anything. They're voting against. That's the point here. Biden voters don't want a Biden candidacy. They're, they're not, they, they just hate Trump. So they're voting against him. That makes me believe that a lot of people, they're more likely to support Trump in a hope, a hope of something to be gained. What are the, what are the Biden voters doing? They're saying, give me anything and I'll vote. I'll vote for it. In fact, the Atlantic wrote a story that said, Joe, Bi- stay alive, Joe Biden. All we need is your corporeal presence. And that should be obvious. There's no enthusiasm, none for Joe Biden or his policies. The progressives hate him. But they, 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 but 538 says this, the significance of this enthusiasm gap is exaggerated. Enthusiastic votes count just as much as unenthusiastic ones, meaning an enthusiasm gap would only really matter in a close election. And right now it isn't close. Biden leads Trump in in national polls by nearly nine points. No enthusiasm advantage, no matter how big, could possibly make up for that kind of gap. No, you're wrong, 538. You can be very enthusiastic for Trump and you're motivated to vote. And if you're not enthusiastic for Biden, you sit back and don't care. You see, it's about turnout and Trump needs that turnout. But they say, however, the bigger issue 
is that there is enthusiasm in the other direction. They say, first, while Biden voters may not be all that excited about voting for Biden, they're very enthusiastic about voting against Trump. And that gives Biden a pretty strong edge because Trump supporters don't despise Biden the way they despised Hillary Clinton in 2016. In fact, according to survey data from the Democracy Fund, plus US UCLA Nationscape Project, the share of Trump voters who rate Biden unfavorably is consistently much lower than the share of Biden voters who rate Trump negatively, nearly 30 percentage points lower as of the last survey conducted at the end of the at the end of June. Heed that warning, Trump supporters. Let me tell you, Hillary Clinton was universally despised and Trump won certain states by only a few thousand votes. I can't tell you what to expect with mail-in voting, but I can tell you this. I think they chose Joe Biden for a reason. Do not underestimate Sleepy Joe. I've made the joke about Joe Biden popping up at these debates and speaking a mile a minute and all of a sudden just having this energy lulling Trump supporters into a false sense of security. But no, Sleepy Joe is going to be just that sad, sleepy Joe. You can't hate the guy. You're sad for the guy. He can barely talk. His own commercials have gaffes. He comes off as very unthreatening. That's what they want. Now, maybe they'll change him out. Maybe they'll bring in Hillary. There's a lot of speculation. But I think they're using sleepy, creepy Joe because they don't want you to think about him at all. They want you to hate Trump. They want the voters to hate Trump. And that's what it'll be. People won't think twice about Biden. Trump was able to succeed in, in some ways because people hated Hillary and he weaponized that corruption. He said, look how corrupt she is. Look at, look at WikiLeaks. They proved it. Now, Joe Biden has that level of corruption, too. You could bring up. You could bring up Ukraine, China, his son, Hunter, all these things. But Joe is just mumbly, fumbly, bumbly Joe. And people aren't going to be as they're not going to get that visceral hatred like they did for Hillary. And that could be a big advantage. Serve up the American people a sad, pitiful candidate. You feel bad for Joe. And maybe that's enough for some people to stay out. Or maybe it's enough to get people to, to actually support him. I don't know. I think, I think it's fair to say we just don't know. The only thing you can do is sharp your defenses, get on the offense, and, and come election day, you wait in line as long as you must. You sail, send in your mail-in ballots. You do everything in your power to make sure you get your vote and be it for Trump, for Biden, or anybody, whatever you got to do, you do it because we just don't know. And everybody's going to tell you why they're winning. The Trump supporters are going to say the primary votes prove it. Fair point. But 538 is going to say, but hold on, people really hate Trump. That's a good point, too. The prediction markets are favoring Joe Biden. But I'll leave you with this one last bit. CNN saying the race between Biden and Trump is within the true margin of error. Now, they believe Biden is favored to win, but the margin of error means Trump could win just as well. Of course, they say Trump's got a one in 10 chance, but he's within the margin of error. He's not down and out. He is absolutely not. And if that enthusiasm gap is true, then Trump very, very well may take this. More importantly, if the secret voters have grown, if more people are scared than ever because of cancel culture, perhaps Trump will landslide. Or perhaps to throw it back to the breaking news of the segment, Kanye West pops back up for some reason and wins. I'm kidding. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. And I will see you all there. Last night, a clip from Nick Cannon's podcast went viral. In it, the celebrity host of several TV shows 
went on an, an extremely racist tirade against white people. But in this podcast, he also made many anti-Semitic comments. For some reason, this mainstream celebrity felt emboldened to go full on racial identity supremacist. And there's a lot of reasons why this may be happening. But this is the biggest story right now. The number one trend in the United States on Twitter is the firing of Nick Cannon. Apparently, he hosts things for MTV and T Nick. And I guess he's a judge on The Voice or something. So this guy still has a ton of other jobs. He's not been canceled. This is not, in my opinion, overt cancel culture. He's been fired for saying something over the top and extremely racist and anti-Semitic. But the dude's still famous, wealthy, and he has a ton of other work. But it is, in a way, a bit of cancel culture. So here's what we need to talk about. First, I want to give you the news so you can understand why this Nick Cannon thing is so important. You probably don't know a whole lot about who Nick Cannon is. That's fine. But recently, we heard from Terry Crews. Terry Crews is a famous celebrity actor. He's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he is the hero we need right now. Good man. Good man. You see, he tweeted, we can't let Black Lives Matter become Black Lives Better. We need to work together with, with people of all races and bring equality. And for that, he's been just slammed and ripped apart by a lot of racial supremacists on Twitter. These people are being emboldened, man. And, and it's almost like, you know, something's happened where you get some, some dude or some lady who made a joke 10 years ago that was, oh, it was edgy. It was meant to be offensive. Back then it was fine. Today you're fired for it. They'll dig into your past. They'll give you no chance at redemption. This, this cancel culture is a problem. But something happened where people like Nick Cannon have impunity. They can say whatever they want. They don't get in trouble. In fact, Nick Cannon's not being fired because of the, the, uh, the racist things he said. He's being fired specifically for, for anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Now, a lot of people are, are, are angry that he went out. He went, look, man, it was full black supremacist. He was calling other people subhuman and stuff like this. It was the dude was like, I'm going to be I'm going to be careful here. And then just went off full on racial supremacist. This is exactly what Terry Crews was warning us about. We can't tolerate it, but he's not getting in trouble. He's not getting canceled for that. They're seemingly allowing it. And so people like like Nick Cannon and Deshaun Jackson are being emboldened to come out and say some of the most insane things. But we knew this was coming. Why? We've heard from, say, the leaders of the Women's March, from Black Lives Matter organizers, that there are a group of people who are racial supremacists like Nick Cannon, anti-Semites, and they're, they, they're emboldened to speak up now and say these things that normally would have gotten them fired, and, and they won't be fired. He's being fired for the anti-Semitism. Okay, so that, that will get you fired. But some of the racist stuff they say, man, they just... And I'm seeing even, you know, Chelsea Handler posted a video of Farrakhan. This stuff is, is these people, these racial supremacists are being emboldened. Let's read the story. And then I want to talk to you about just how, how bad things may be getting if this is not called out. The New York Times says, the television star Nick Cannon was fired from Viacom CBS on Tuesday for making anti-Semitic remarks during a recent podcast in which he discussed conspiracy theories about Jewish people and praised a minister notorious for anti-Jewish comments. Yeah, that's Farrakhan. Say you can't say Farrakhan, New York Times. That's crazy to me. Viacom is the parent company of MTV and cable channel Teen Nick, both of which prominently showcased Mr. Cannon for years. They say he has worked as an executive producer and chairman of Teen Nick, a spinoff of the network Nickelodeon geared toward teenagers. He had also been a host and executive producer of the MTV comedy show Wild and Out. A Viacom CBS spokeswoman said in a statement, 
The company categorically denounces all form of anti-Semitism. We have spoken with Nick Cannon about an episode of his podcast, Cannon's Class, on YouTube, which promoted hateful speech and spread anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. While we support ongoing education and dialogue in the fight against bigotry, we are deeply troubled that Nick has failed to acknowledge or apologize for perpetuating anti-Semitism. We are, in, we are terminating our relationship with him. In a tweet on Monday, Mr. Cannon said, anyone who knows me knows I have no hate in my heart nor malice intentions. He says, I do not condone hate speech nor the spread of hateful rhetoric. We're living in a time when it is more important than ever to promote unity and understanding. Oh, I don't, I don't buy it. The dude basically said that he, 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 he is, he is I, I guess it's called a, a black Hebrew Israelite. He said that he is the true the true Jewish, you know, the, the true Hebrew or whatever, and therefore it's impossible for him to actually be anti-Semitic. That was apparently what he said. This is, look, man, you can believe what you want, fine. But when you target other groups and start calling them subhuman and stuff, don't be surprised when you get fired. And this goes for white supremacists. I don't care what kind of racist you are. This is not something that we tolerate as a society. But it does bring itself to a bigger question about cancel culture. And I'll make the distinction very, very clear. Personally, if you get fired because you went off on like an extreme racist tirade. I got I got to tell you man, I got very little sympathy. If a brand doesn't want to be associated with you because it negatively impacts them. I said this about a a, a bunch of other things like you know Aunt Jemima wants to pull the the image of Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's and I'm like, "Well, I think you got to listen to what people are actually saying because apparently the family of the of, of the Aunt Jemima character model are upset and Uncle Ben was just a farmer. I think if a brand makes a choice because they want to make money, and they're trying to cater to a large audience. Branding is meant to be an advertisement. I get it. Hiring a celebrity is meant to be an advertisement. Hiring personalities, you know, is meant to be an advertisement. You're like, hey, look at this guy we got. Come do, you know, come with us and come watch our thing. Come buy our product. If you go off on a white supremacist tirade and they fire you, I'm going to be like, yeah, well, you know, nobody likes that. There's two big problems, however, in cancel culture that I think get to the root of why so many people call it out. The first, the line over what is or isn't acceptable is skewed to an insane degree, an absolutely insane degree. Terry Crews is being attacked for saying no to racism. People are attacking him. Okay, that's where it gets scary. Where where are they going to push the Overton window, which is like what what is socially acceptable? So now you have someone who might say something passively ignorant, like Megyn Kelly, when she asked a question about why blackface was offensive, fired. That's insane. Come on, man. Ignorance. You could have said, well, isn't this a learning moment for you, Megyn Kelly? Let us explain to you why it is so offensive. And she would have went, oh, I didn't know. And many other people didn't know. Why was she fired? Nick Cannon goes on a racist tirade and, and, and he still got all of this work. He's, he's, he's being terminated for anti-Semitism. The other issue is digging into people's past to pull up 20 year old, you know, uh, writing and, and 10 year old writing and saying, when you were 15, you went on World of Warcraft and made an edgy joke. And someone has a screenshot. You're fired. Things like that have happened. You know, they've they've, they've gone to people's past and said one guy that the race car driver like your father said the N word before you were born. You're fired. They, he lost a sponsor because of it. that's insane. There's got to be room for forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness, even for people like Nick Cannon. That is the big problem here. Nick Cannon didn't say something 20 years ago. It's his latest episode where he goes off on this tirade. So listen, I don't want to see him banned from social media. I don't want to see his Twitter taken down, his YouTube taken down. I want I want him to be able to speak up so I know what he says, so I can be like, wow, I did not know this guy 
was this bad of a person. I didn't know he hold these. He held these insane views. Let him speak. Let him say these things and let everybody who holds these anti-Semitic and racist views tell people what they really think. I tweeted about this. Nick Cannon is being emboldened. I said, it's, it's, this is what's really funny about the tweet I put out. I said something like, they, they've always believed this. They're just now emboldened. If you knew what they actually thought in private, you'd probably vomit at how extreme they are. In Nick Cannon's speech, in his, in his video, he goes, I want to be careful about how I say this. Yeah, because his views are actually much more extreme than he's letting on. He's, he's, he's trying to crop dust the issue, get as close as he can to see where that line is, right? And immediately I get people saying, who's they, Tim? What does that mean? I'm like, oh, here come the defenders of racial supremacy. Here come the defenders of anti-Semitism, trying to imply that I was talking about anything other than these specific people, black identity extremists. They hold these views. They just don't let you know. And the same is true for white supremacists. They know what is or isn't socially acceptable. The difference, you, you, get, you get anywhere near something that's perceivably bigoted, even something you did 10 years ago, and you're fired, canceled, and gone. And that's going too far. People like Nick Cannon, he go, this, 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 this tweet that's going viral, it's got 27,000 retweets, million, I believe millions of views. And he's only being fired for the anti-Semitic comments, not the overt racial supremacist comments. That's the problem with cancel culture. We got to have a standard. You know, I, I, I'll call it the Terry Crews standard. Let me, let me pull up his tweet. He said, when I was young, I was never afraid of the Klan. It was people like you, the threats, the intimidation, discouraging free thought, and the insult of acting white. My heart breaks because your behavior only reveals you don't know how powerful you are. Somebody responded to him. He, he, so here's the tweet from Adam Ford. Nick Cannon, I'm, I, I'm not going to repeat what Nick Cannon said. Terry Crews says, we have to include this white voice, this Hispanic voice, this Asian voice. We have to include it right now because if we don't, it's going to slip into something we are really not prepared for. Terry Crews on the talk, referencing Nick Cannon's racist tirade. And someone said, you're going so hard against Nick Cannon, but when you fall, no black person will have your back. Watch. Maybe, I, I don't believe that's true. I believe there are a lot of principled people of all races that will be there for Terry Crews and who will defend him because Terry Crews is the hero we, re, we need right now. Terry Crews is the person who's actually preaching unity, trying to bring us together in this trying time where we have riots, people are losing their lives. We are asking the question about Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. People are debating. And Terry Crews stepped up and says, listen, everybody, we have to do this together. And a lot of people attacked him for it because Terry Crews's message is calling out the extremists. And it's extremely important that he does. Otherwise, we end up with people like Nick Cannon being emboldened I don't think, you know, look, Nick Cannon probably won't be fired. But here's the bigger question. Should Nick Cannon be fired from all of his jobs? I don't know about should, but I kind of lean towards yes. And I'll make the distinction. Hold, when, when, when the left right now is saying cancel culture isn't real, they're trying to gaslight you because cancel culture isn't necessarily a reference to you, you know, vomiting up horrifying racist speech and then getting fired for it. That's what they want you to believe. They'll say things like cancel culture isn't real. What we're talking about is people being held accountable for being racist or something. Let me stop you right there. When you dig up a 10 year old comedy sketch from Sarah Silverman, so she can't get work, that's cancel culture. Maybe Sarah Silverman should have spoke up against this a long time ago. When you have somebody whose dad said a racial slur before he was born, losing a sponsor, 
That is cancel culture. Come on. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. When people get fired for asking a question that they, they don't know why blackface is, is, is offensive, that's cancel culture. That's insane. You're looking for reasons to harm people and you're not giving them a chance at forgiveness. So I, I, would, I would even go this far. Nick Cannon, they, should, they shouldn't have fired him yet. They should fire him if he refuses to apologize straight up right now. And that's what they're saying. Viacom said that he refused to apologize for the anti-Semitic comments. That's why he's gone. Well, there you go. Apparently, they gave him a chance to say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. It's not. But what about the rest of what he said? I absolutely will give him a chance to come around and say, you know what? You know, I, I was wrong, whatever, all that stuff. So I don't, I don't know what else, you know, they talk about Mr. Griffin. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. So this is the guy in the show. On the June 30 episode of the podcast, Mr. Cannon was interviewing rapper Richard Griffin, known as Professor Griff, about his dismissal from the hip hop group Public Enemy in 1989. Griffin left the group after he said in an interview with the Washington Times, uh, things I'm not going to repeat. I, I can't even I can't even repeat this stuff, man. I, I could probably get in trouble just because it's in the New York Times uh, article. But he said a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. He, he totally did. And he says, I'm hated because I told the truth. That's that's it. That's it. And Cannon said, you're speaking facts. There's no reason to be scared of anything when you're speaking the truth, man. Mr. Cannon said it was an honor to have the legend Mr. Griffin on his podcast. He also said it was a shame that Louis Farrakhan, a minister known for his anti-Semitic comments, had been silenced on Facebook. I actually, you know what? I got to say this. I don't believe Farrakhan should have been banned. I don't. Let Farrakhan speak and let all of the people who like his posts and comment on his posts, let them tell the world what they really think. I want to know. I don't want these people hiding, lurking about, holding these views, because we, look, it's important we know what is bad. We challenge what is acceptable, and we draw those lines. In a society that has people from all different backgrounds, races, creeds, national origins, where we're truly trying to live together, and you know, you know, we, we, we want this vision. We want to hold hands and sing under a rainbow, don't we? But in this world where there are people who would secretly seek to subvert our, you know, our chances at success, I'd rather just let them speak so I know who they are. And then, yeah, you don't hire them. Let them be emboldened to speak. Let them go on Facebook and Twitter and social media and say what they want to say. I want to know who they are. I'm glad Nick Cannon came out and said it because now I know I think he's gross. I think he's disgusting. And I will not partake in any of his content and the things he says. See, what, what if you got invited onto his show and you had no idea? What if he went around saying, come and support my cause, and you had no idea? Nah, it's good that you now know. I'll bring you now to something that I find very alarming. CDC employees call out agencies toxic culture of racial aggression. There's a story I covered yesterday where about 10%, a little bit more than 10%, almost 12% of the CDC staff are demanding the CDC publicly declare racism a public health crisis in the US. Okay, that makes no sense. My concern is, how many people like Nick Cannon are, are lurking in the background? This is the, this is the tweet that I put out. They've always believed this stuff. Okay, these, these, these black Hebrew Israelites, these racial supremacists, they believe it. They just don't say it until they're emboldened. Now, I think what we're going to get out of the Nick Cannon situation, more people being emboldened. And I'll tell you what, I do think it's a good thing to a certain degree. Good that we can see them. They'll talk about who they are. And then look, I have a lot of friends. They don't seem to understand this that they're high profile celebrities that are that are advancing certain causes for insane racial supremacist reasons. And I want to show them. 
So as soon as Nick, Nick Cannon said that, I said, thank you for telling us what you really think. I mean it. And now I'm going to send this video to my friends and say, this is what this guy thinks. Don't listen to him. I, I defer to Dave Chappelle. I defer to Terry Crews when they talk about justice, when they talk about equality. Dave Chappelle did that comedy special I referenced many times. He's not talking about racial supremacy. He's not talking about conspiracy theories. He's not talking about taxing Amazon far left. He's talking about people losing their lives due to police overreach, brutality, and a lack of accountability. And you know what? Those are all bad things. And he's right to bring them up. He talks about the potential for violence from people who feel like they have no recourse and how that's a, a danger we will face from people who have no, you know, feel like they have no chance. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Dave Chappelle may have his views on what he thinks is the most pressing problem. Something is negatively impacting him and his community, and I can respect that. It doesn't mean he's completely right, but he is highlighting serious problems. That's the kind of talk we need. These are the problems we want to focus on. Dave Chappelle and Terry Crews are hitting the nail on the head with a hammer pointing out racial inequality, disparities in policing, and Terry Crews saying we need to come together as one, you know, as, 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 as human beings. Bravo, good sir. Bravo. And that brings us to these other people like Nick Cannon and the problem they represent. So check this out. This is a tweet from Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock is outkick.com. Um, he's, uh, I, be I believe he's a sports commentator. I could be wrong. He says, this tweet took a lot of heat. I thought of it today when reading about Nick Cannon. Teaching racism is at an all-time high. Don't be a professor of bigotry. Terry Crews said, if you are a child of God, you are my brother and my sister. I have family of every race, creed, and ideology. We must ensure Black Lives Matter doesn't morph into Black Lives Better. There are a lot of people that I look up to. And in these times, you have people who would exploit, absolutely exploit Black Lives Matter, what it was supposed to represent, and the racial tensions for their insane racist and anti-Semitic goals. But then we have, we have people who are willing to stand up and say no to this stuff. And those are the kind of people that we need to be propping up. So when it comes to cancel culture, man, this, this, this really did bring up an interesting conundrum for me in how, how far is too far? Where's the line? And I think it's fair to say there is a point at which you should probably be fired for the things you say, 100%. If you go out and call for overtly illegal things, if you would damage a business, then maybe you should be fired. The challenge is the line has been moved to a ridiculous point. And now we have people being fired for things that sh they shouldn't be fired for and people who should be fired not being fired. So maybe, you know, ultimately, when it comes to employment, these are tough questions. But if your boss doesn't want you there because you're hurting business, well, then, you know, what can you say? You can be upset about it, but maybe that's it. I think the big issue would be like to reference someone like, say, Jack Murphy. He wrote a book called Democrat to Deplorable. He got canceled. He was falsely accused of things. He didn't come out and say things. And these are the things that we need to point out into what cancel culture really is. So maybe it's fair to say cancel culture is not if, you know, some dude, white or otherwise, comes out and spews violent anti-Semitic statements getting fired. That's not cancel culture if someone says, I don't want that in my company. Cancel culture is you know, you're somebody like Jack Murphy, who's like teaching Little League baseball or something. Someone falsely accuses of things that aren't true, writes fake news about you, and you get fired before you've even said a word. That's cancel culture. When you didn't even say anything and they accuse you and they get you fired. Maybe it's not cancel culture then if you choose to come out and offend, you know, target people, insult them, say these things that are bad for business. This, these are, these are, look, I, I, as I was reading this Nick Cannon story and seeing this th throughout the other day, 
I really thought about, you know, where's the line in firing somebody? And it's, and it's, difficult. it's difficult. I guess it depends on the job. It depends on the heat you're willing to take. But what if someone said something that was offensive to a lot of people and someone else stood by them? You know, honestly, these are tough questions. I don't think I have all the answers to. What I can say is that there is a line. We need to make sure we draw it for the left and the right. If, if Nick Cannon is not being fired for the racist things he said, we can see that they are being given leeway in their extreme racism. And that will make people more emboldened. But you know what? Good. I want to hear it. I want to know who the bad people are. And I want to know who the good people are so I can cheer and, and believe in people like Terry Crews and call out and uh, slam people like Nick Cannon. We'll see how this plays out. He's getting fired from one job, but I got, I got more segments uh, coming up later today. The next will be at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. We are truly living in very crazy times. Political divisions are reaching a tipping point, and there are real fears about some kind of mass civil unrest, which we've already kind of seen, but I'm talking things may get just downright crazy come November. No one will trust the results of the election. That's what's been said. One of the biggest contributing factors to this has been the media. There has been a perverse incentive structure for new media companies to enrage and spread fear and hate and anger. And of course, men on the left would say, certainly Tim is talking about white supremacy in the far right. No, I'm not. I'm talking about mainstream venture capital funded leftist media, which has been slowly dying. There is there is some good news. It's not so much about which side you support. It's about a unified perspective for this country. Do we share a vision of what this country is? Well, right now you have a far left that is driving further and further left because they are incentivized to write insane things. They use the the, the algorithm to promote their content, to make more money. And thus we see the rise of the far left. Now, the right has been banned for the most part, but we are seeing moderate conservative and conservative content like, say, the Daily Wire, which is considered right wing by all sides and center right outlets that are doing really, really well on Facebook. I mean, this could be good news, not because I agree necessarily with what you know these conservatives believe, but because the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, they believe in civil rights and liberty in the Constitution. The far left believes in tearing down statues, rewriting history and violence. They say speech is violence, but violence isn't violence. They believe nonsensical things. And you know my position on this. Vox Media preparing round of layoffs as business business fails to improve amid coronavirus pandemic. You know, I, I hate to be callous. So I, I want to say to the people who lose their jobs, I'm, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. But I will say, if we are to, to survive as a country, this stuff needs to go. These people are, are unwell. Okay, they're being driven mad by an algorithm that is hyper radicalizing them. They accuse us of the same thing. Yet, if you look at my political opinions and we have a conversation about it, it would be very similar to, say, a moderate Democrat or even Bernie Sanders, not even 10 years ago. My opinions have remained mostly in the same place because I watch all different news sources. I listen to all different types of people. But if you're on the left, and you grow up with this machine like Vox, like BuzzFeed, you are being fed insane far left narratives that want want you to hate. They want to infect you with anger. You know why? Anger shares the most. When people see a piece of content and it's a happy, fluffy bunny, you know, you know, laying on its side, it gets shares. But if someone sees a person put that bunny in a bag and throw it off a building, 
that gets way more shares, anger. And that's why police brutality videos skyrocketed the way they did. They really did. Facebook made changes to try and prevent this because things were getting absolutely insane. But of course, as these media companies gained power as institutions, they didn't call out the machine that was empowering them. They didn't call out the fact that they were dealing this drug anger to people. They called out those that would challenge them. The anti-SJWs, not, not all of whom are perfect, moderate, centrist, intellectual, dark web, were all under fire. And over the New York Times, Barry Weiss, who is a prominent, uh, I, I believe she was a, a opinion editor for, for the Times, she resigned saying that she was being harassed, bullied. And with this, many people have said the New York Times no longer has credibility. Even the Times itself is drifting to the left. So while I don't want to be callous, I will say news of Vox and not just Vox, but the Guardian laying people off. These are both leftist incentivized organizations that that drive in anger and rage. It is good news for us that these screeching voices are dwindling because what they've called for often makes no sense. They will claim one thing is is racist, but then they'll change the definition of racism because they'll say whatever they need to say to get those clicks to make money. The whole system creates this perverse incentive structure where the content gradually escalates and becomes more and more unhinged to the point where they say that Donald Trump is literally Hitler or he's worse than like we've gotten to that point. They start actively encouraging racism defending violence, saying it's not really violence. It's just nonsense. They can't walk back from this insanity. Well, I believe most Americans don't agree with this. And this is evidenced by, say, a recent YouGov poll showing that most Americans have a positive view of the phrase all lives matter. And less than the majority, less than 50% have a positive view of black lives matter. But if you go by what you see from Vox or Twitter, you'd think, how could that possibly be true? It's true because they're peddling in lies and they're they're essentially serving you a drug rage. It's true. Conservatives do similar things. You can you can argue that I often produce content that makes people angry, particularly at the far left. But many people jokingly call me milquetoast fencer for a reason, because often I'm laughing. You know, I think things are silly or absurd and I'm not not frequently angry. In fact, a lot of people are like, I love it when Tim gets angry, but it's not all that often. Even right now, it's more of a concern. Maybe it's a a fear, a worry, but not as angry as they are, not as uh, on the offensive or the attack, perhaps not. Also, I'll say this. Maybe maybe that's my bias. Maybe that's not true. Maybe I am just as bad as they are for sure. Then all I can really say is if we want to avoid disaster, catastrophe or the worst case, civil war, then we need a unified narrative, a unified vision for what this country is supposed to represent. My position is that we as a country, the United States has done a really good job and we continue to do better. And racism is a bad thing. Their position is that this country is racist. Statues should come down. The rule of law is only for us and not them. And they believe that the history is wrong and should be rewritten and definitions should be changed. That's insane. When you see how they how they change definitions of words, right? I'll give you one example. For the longest time, they said that biological sex and gender are not the same thing. They said that you can be a male or a female, but be a man or a woman because man or woman are social constructs. And I said, I get that. Sure, I'll accept that. Now they're saying male and female literally are the same exact thing. And there's no there's no difference. You cannot function 
if the definitions change overnight. And that's the problem with Vox and why, in my opinion, it's a good thing that they start laying people off and start collapsing. Recently, the letter was written, the Harper's letter that that challenged cancel culture. And because of it, many people who signed this letter started getting canceled, including the founder of Vox Media, Matthew Iglesias, who now tweets, I have an opinion, but I will not be sharing it in this venue. Wow, there it is. That's why they can't be allowed to succeed. These people are the ones destroying the fabric of our country. We had norms. Racism was bad. Civil rights were good. Speech was good. And we wanted progress. Then Matthew Iglesias and his friends co-founded Vox, among other outlets. And now you can see what they have created. Iglesias himself can't even speak. I have an opinion, but I will not be sharing it in this venue. Here's one. Only good tweets from now on, he said. Richard Lewis responded, I can't tell if what you're doing with tweets like this is a smart way to undercut Vox and highlight the crap way you've been treated or some form of self-pitying cuckoldry. I hope it's the former Maddie. Matthew Iglesias signed the Harper's letter challenging cancel culture. Well, guess what, Matt? You, your organization creates this. So you are getting canceled and now your company is facing comeuppance. CNBC reports, Vox Media, the owner of the media properties, including New York Mag, The Verge, SB Nation and Eater, has informed its worker worker unions to prepare for company wide layoffs, according to people familiar with the matter. Vox spoke with the union leaders money to inform them of their plan to cut staff who uh, said people who asked not to be named. Vox furloughed about 100 employees in April or 9% of its staff until July 31st, as COVID-19 affected advertising budgets. Many of the furloughed workers who haven't already taken buyouts will be laid off. You could have had that buyout. You could have, you could have taken that cash and walked away. <clears throat> According to a person familiar, these employees primarily work for parts of Vox that were especially hit hard by the pandemic, such as SB Nation, Curbed, and the company's events group. There are likely to be additional job cuts, the people said. Both the Writers Guild of America East, which represents about 350 of Vox's 1,200 employees, and News Guild of New York, which represent New York MAG employees, are meeting with executives this week. Two of the people said Vox hopes to resolve those discussions by Friday. Vox reached profitability in 2019 and planned to become even more profitable in 2020, while the company hit, hit its revenue targets for the first time in months, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about the rest of this stuff. This is a dangerous company, a very dangerous company. They were very, very well funded. You can see what they've created. People like Matthew Iglesias can no longer even speak. They've created a monster. And it's not just Vox. It's many other companies. Vice, for instance, where I worked, started out great and then became twisted and mangled. They also have faced layoffs. The Guardian plans to cut 180 jobs. I'm sorry, man. I hate to say it. This is a good thing. You know, if it was any other job, I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't say that I wouldn't agree. But I'll tell you this right now. Moderate and conservative voices are on the rise. To be fair, my business is doing better than ever. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start producing. I'm going to I'm going to be launching another news division, a new news company to actually start writing articles that won't be this psychotic in this, this insanity. Right now, there is a company for which I have uh, f- um, co-founded with a few other people called Scanner, SCNR.com. It is editorially independent. I'll tell you the first thing that's happening. They do video content on the ground reporting, and some people are unhappy with their content. You know what? I got, I'm sorry, but that's kind of a good thing for now. There's a lot of work that has to be done to improve, to make it you know, function better, and to be the best it can be. But to those that are, have been following along, 
hey, stay tuned. One of the things you need to realize is the goal for any news outlet will not to be cre- not to be to create an echo chamber like Vox did, where they just keep trying to one up the drug they're selling you. The goal is going to be to produce things that some people won't like and some people will. And we will not be beholden to YouTube's algorithm in that case, which means some of the video scanners put out mostly thumbs down. A lot of people saying, I don't like this. I don't want to watch it. Then don't. Then don't. But the one thing I will not do is say, hmm, the algorithm dictates. Let's change what we're doing so that the machine feeds people the drug. No way. So right now they're editorially independent. They do their thing. And some people don't like what they do. I understand that. I'm going to be setting up a news outlet. I'm going to be hiring fact checkers. And we're going to go through all of this stuff. And we're going to call it out where we can call it out. Right now there's a video going around of uh, uh, Antifa marching with a banner. And a lot of people don't know it's fake. I tweeted that it was fake. It made Antifa look bad, but the truth is more important. We need real news back. The Guardian lost its way. Vox was never good. Actually, it's sad to say Vox actually was. Vox's initial intention is probably close to what I I am saying right now. They wanted to explain the news to you. So when the news stories came, they'd take the story and they'd break it down. I want to do kind of that too. When a story breaks and you've got them saying, you know, Trump did this, I want to say, here's what the left is saying. Here's what the conservatives are saying. Here's our analysis. Here's the news, what we can prove, what we can't prove. When the New York Times is an anonymous, anonymous source claims Trump did a backflip, I'll say one anonymous sorry, uh, source does not a confirmation make. I'm sorry. So my assessment would be the New York Times has one anonymous source. We can't fa- fact check these claims. Therefore, we label this unverified. If they can give you on the record sources with at least three names, you can choose to trust them. But I won't. I won't trust The Guardian either. The Guardian is cutting 180 jobs. They said the proposal will affect 180 jobs, 110 in departments such as advertising, Guardian's jobs and marketing roles, and the, and the Guardian live events business with 70 coming from editorial. The editor-in-chief, Catherine Viner, and the Guardian Media Group chief executive, Annette Thomas, said in a joint statement to staff that the pandemic had created an unsustainable financial outlook for The Guardian, with revenues expected to be down by more than $25 million on this year's budget. Here's what I try to do and, and, and why I think we're seeing, a revo- we're seeing a real revolution in media. First of all, my profit margins for my business are insane. They're really, really good. That, the, the percentage of like the overhead cost for what I produce is really low. Once we launch a news division, that's going to invert. News is incredibly expensive, incredibly expensive. But we're going to be building something from the ground up. So we're not going to be you know, over encumbered like some of these companies are. And I'm also not going to be beholden to these algorithms. There's a lot of people who try and claim that I just make content for the sake of the algorithm. That's just absolutely not true. Let me tell you the difference. You see, when I, th- when I see a story I think is important, I talk about it. And then I upload it to YouTube. And what happens is you get a thousand people to all make a video and somebody hits the nail on the head. For me, it's just, it just so happens to be I'm the lucky person who, 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 who cares about issues that other people care about. That's about it. The way Vox works or I shouldn't say Vox specifically. I'm not going to talk to their editorial department. The way media works is the boss comes in and says, show me the numbers. Here's a list of all the things that did well. Here's a list of the things that didn't. And he says, do the things that did well. I don't do that. I look at stories that I care about and I talk about them. And that's why sometimes videos just don't do well. Sometimes I'll put out a video, get very few views. Sometimes I'll put out a video and it'll get amazing views. And it just so happens I am slightly leaning towards, you know, it, it works out better for me. When it comes to the news and the fact checking I'm going to be doing, we are going to critically break down these stories and try and figure out what's really going on. What does the media do? Donald Trump will say something like, 
you know, he'll say something uh, and I'll take it literally. My favorite example. He said in 20, in the 20, it was a 2016 debates. I believe it was 16. Hillary Clinton acid washed her server. Acid washed her server. What does that mean? Most sane people understand that what he was saying was that she purged the hard drives. He was speaking figuratively. What did NBC say? False. Hillary Clinton did not use a corrosive substance on a computer. Now that is just as factually true and it it is a fact, but it is untrue. That's the game they play. And that's what we need to break down if we really want to bring people together. Now, I do think there's foreign interests who want to tear us apart. One thing that's often not brought up in these conversations is that Al Jazeera Plus, a major proponent of social justice narratives, which are tearing at the fabric of this country with far left insane views, is funded by foreign entities. They blame Russia today. Sure, fine. They promote activists. But Al Jazeera has been propping up the far left and intersectionality like crazy to the tune of billions of views per year. And that's on Facebook. And it's skewing the minds and perspective of people. Here's what happens. When you make a video about police brutality, guess what? You see an unjust action that makes you angry, you share it. This is a fact and they all know it. It's why police brutality videos became so prominent. And it's partly what gave rise to Black Lives Matter. You then end up with people who see nothing but police brutality on Facebook. It's all they ever see. They're not on Facebook following Tim Pool. They're on Facebook following their friends and family. The friends and family are sharing these videos. And those videos are all they will see because they're the ones that go viral. They then start believing they live in a world where the police are a rogue force beating random people 24-7. Now, YouTube is different. On YouTube, you choose someone you trust and you follow their content. You are not fed content, for the most part, from random strangers who are sharing things. YouTube's algorithm, for better or for worse, chooses what you see. That means if you come to my page, you have chosen to watch my content. If YouTube feeds you a video, YouTube believes it is a good video for you to watch. And YouTube's put safeguards on their algorithm, again, for better or for worse. Facebook, kind of. On Facebook, if all of your friends are tricked into believing that Donald Trump is evil, they all share the same meme and that you see that. So now you have all of these people being manipulated into sharing nonsensical content and they're going nuts. YouTube does have algorithm problems for people who don't follow individuals like babies when they watch nonsensical you know, videos of weird Hulk dancing and singing nursery rhyme stuff. But for the most part, you choose what you watch on YouTube. You will see a big list of content and you'll say, I want that one. On Facebook, someone will share it and you'll say, what's this? You'll click it. This is what, what Vox and BuzzFeed and all these media outlets were exploiting, which has driven everybody insane. And this is what needs to stop. I'm sorry. When I see that these media companies are dying, I just say, well, you know what? You get, you, you reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. I mean, what, what do I mean by that? You had a choice to stay, to stick with your integrity. And that meant you probably would have lost these amount of money, but you chose to get woke and go broke. And there it is. Let me, let me point out the ultimate get woke, go broke. And that's the point of this video. Conservative outlets, The Daily Wire, Fox News, they are skyrocketing on Facebook. YouTubers who are moderate and many who are conservative are doing better and better every week, every month, every year. It's because people are tired of the fake insanity. And as the left chased themselves off a cliff, they no longer resemble the real world. There's some progressive YouTubers one in particular who I won't name. And I watch their content. I wonder what are they, what news are they getting? What's the news right now? You got, you got COVID and Trump, you got riots, you've got Kanye West, you got Nick Cannon. 
And then I look at some of these progressives and they're talking about Trump's bad hair day. They're talking about Trump lying. And I'm like, what are you watching? What news are you watching? And I think I know why they're doing it. You see, a lot of these progressive pundits built a career saying the war is bad and I believe in free speech because that was the popular position among the left 10 years ago. They started their channels a long time ago. Now they're stuck. If they come out and say free speech is important and ending the war is important, why? They would be supporting Donald Trump. So they have to ignore the news cycle. I bring you now to the most important point when it comes to principle. For the longest time, I've said the war in the Middle East is bad, and I firmly believe it. I believe that if we want to solve our problems at home, the first thing we should do is bring our soldiers back from a country that we shouldn't be in in the first place and start allocating those funds to the best of our abilities to fixing problems like Flint. I believe free speech is paramount for a free society. Noam Chomsky said it. I've long believed that. It's been a standard ethic of mine, moral principle forever. Now we're facing a world where the Republicans and the Democrats are trying to block Trump from withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. If Trump wants to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, good. I'm happy he's doing it. It's the right thing. If he wants to defend free speech for people, even if he doesn't agree, good. He's right. I'm glad he's doing it. I'll defer to Noam Chomsky. He's the one who said it. He's the famous lefty guy. Now they're trying to cancel him. He's, I believe he signed the Harper's letter too. You see what's happened now is these media companies like Vox have gone so far off the rails. They're unrecognizable from where they were 10 years ago. I don't know if Vox is around 10 years ago, to be honest. But the point is, the left does not make sense anymore. So what happens if you're a progressive personality and you built a career saying the war is bad, Bush is bad, then Obama comes along? Well, Obama's better, but what's Obama doing with the NDAA? What's he doing with AUMF? Then Trump comes along. And don't you dare speak well of Trump or else. What do you do? What do you talk about? I mean, do you defend free speech? Do you challenge massive multinational corporations? But you can't. That would put you on Trump's team. Can't have that. And that's where principle goes out the window. And that's what these media companies have done to the left. They've destroyed it. So I'll tell you what, when these companies go out the window and they lay everybody off and the progressive pundits become irrelevant, there will be a new left in this country, a rational, moderate left that will restore what was once the left in this country. Free speech, social liberalism. Hey, maybe we're pro-choice. We want progressive taxes, things like that. But we're not wherever this insanity is. And we'll bring it back. And then guess what will happen? We'll start to realize people. I'll start to realize, you know what? Wow, I disagree with Ben Shapiro on a ton of things. The funny thing is, when it comes to cultural issues right now, I find myself in agreement with most the most important issues that Ben Shapiro would talk about. Free speech, liberty, the right to self-expression. The, 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 the danger of massive corporations censoring people. But when you get down to the core issues, you'll see Dave, Dave, Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro stare at each other and say, we completely disagree on these fundamental cultural issues. But those aren't the most important issues now because the left has gone nuts because of these media companies. I'm preaching to the choir, though. I've said it 50 billion times, so forgive me if I'm bringing it, you know, saying it again. But we're watching it happen again in real time. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at TimCast.net, and I will see you all then. China is currently experiencing a run on the banks, at least according to Bloomberg, and this can be very, very bad news for China. Run on the banks is just all in all destabilizing for an economy. As everyone rushes to their local bank to take their cash out, the banks don't necessarily have all that cash to give out and then default collapse, chaos. We'll see how this plays out. But there are other issues happening in the U.S. as well. It's not just China. In the U.S., mortgage delinquencies, mortgage-backed security delinquencies. We've got, look, man, if there's a run on the banks in one part of the world, it could ripple across the world and we could see 
We could see economic chaos. And all this is coming after Donald Trump signed an executive order declaring a national emergency in defense of Hong Kong. Things are getting spicy, folks. This may be the most interesting year of our lives, no matter how old you are. But let's read the story from Bloomberg. However, I want to give a shout out to myself. If you haven't already, go over to TimCast.net and subscribe. It's my main channel because a lot of people seem to get confused, not realizing I have multiple channels. So again, TimCast.net, subscribe to my main channel. Let's read this story. They say social media filled rumors about banks collapsing are propping up an unprecedented frequency in China, forcing regulators and even the police to step in and calm depositors. Woo, getting spicy. Just this past month, worried savers have descended on three banks to withdraw funds amid rumors of cash shortages that were later dismissed as false. Over the weekend, customers rushed to a bank in the northern Hebei Hebei province to take out money, prompting local regulators to publicly vouch for the soundness of its lenders as the police halted the run. That's not going to convince people they're going to still freak out. Confidence in the $43 trillion banking system is eroding among the nation's more than 1 billion account holders, threatening a cornerstone of China's rise into an economic powerhouse. After several bailouts and the first bank seizure in more than two decades last year, the coronavirus outbreak and its economic fallout have exacerbated an already shaky situation in the world's largest banking system. Quote, the perception Chinese savers had of banks being risk-free is changing, even though in nearly all recent cases, their deposits have been protected said Shang Shuai a Shanghai-based analyst at China International Capital Corp. Once a rumor like this spreads, it brings immediate liquidity risk to a bank. For decades, deposit taking has provided a stable and low-cost funding base for China's financial market, playing a key part in the rise of its economy to the second largest in the world. Chinese households hold about 90 trillion, 90 trillion won, about $13 trillion of bank deposits, more than anywhere else in the world. Regulators are now not only seeking to soothe nerves publicly, but are also raising the protection to preserve this cushion for banks. The run in Hebei came after authorities kicked off a pilot program to limit large transactions in the province. The two-year program, which is to be expanded to Zhejiao. Okay, so so this I'm less less concerned about. They say authorities have more than 3,000 banks to oversee, most of which are small rural entities. Okay, yeah, yeah, we get it. Squashing the rumors. In the most recent episodes, authorities stepped in last month to halt banks' bank runs at two local lenders in Hebei and Shangxi. Shanxi. On July 11th, savers rushed to withdraw money from Hengshui Bank Co., also based in Hebei, before the police put a stop to it. In response, the local offices of the People's Bank of China and the CBIRC said a joint statement in a joint statement that Hengshui Bank and its branches are legitimate financial entities where any savings under half a million won are protected under China's deposit insurance regulation. They reassured depositors their money is safe and urged them not to blindly withdraw savings. Police took people into custody, issuing reprimands to those spreading rumors, according to the statement. They say, Huangxi said in an email reply on Wednesday that the city government is actively dealing with the issue and called for less publicity. Could it be a PSYOP? America spreading rumors in China to destabilize their financial markets. That is but a conspiracy theory, and we don't know. I can tell you, though, this could be very destabilizing for China and could threaten this economy 
at a time when tensions are escalating. Now, I understand, you know, many of you are probably sitting there saying like, oh man, China, you know, they could only play this game for so long, but hold on. We are all tied together. These international bonds, these trade lines, these the international banking industry, one thing leads to another, man. One thing leads to another. Is there a couple stories that I've highlighted before, but they need to be brought up now. Listen, if there's economic instability in China, there will be economic instability around the world. Maybe that's what Donald Trump is concerned about, that China's fake system is being propped up and will eventually fall apart and take us down with it. And the same could be true for us following 07 and, uh, and 08, the mortgage-backed securities crisis. Perhaps we, we better actually secure our own future. You know what? You know what? It's like, stop relying on somebody else who owes you money and, and save up some money for yourself for a rainy day. Commercial mortgage delinquencies surge at record monthly rate in June. Who saw this coming? I mean, everybody? Come on, people can't pay their mortgages. Look at this. Delinquencies in commercial mortgage-backed securities jumped by 213 basis points from uh, to 3.59% from 1.46, more than double. It was the largest one-month spike since Fitch ratings began tracking the metric nearly 16 years ago. We got a record on our hands. 16 years ago? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So how bad was it in 07 and 08? Hopefully we don't get to that point. But if it's worse than it's ever been, perhaps we're well beyond that point. Ladies and gentlemen, CNBC says 32% of U.S. households missed their July housing payments. 32? Oh, man. You know, Trump wants to send everybody back to school. He wants the kids back in school because he wants people to be able to go back to work. And if they have to deal with their kids and some people might not go back to work, we are in not good shape, man. So we can sit here and we can we can say, wow. And a lot of people might gloat watching China's run on the banks. But how long until we have a run on the banks? How long until people see this and say, hey, wait a minute, we are in some serious trouble, man. These mortgage backed securities are going to tank. What happens when the value of the U.S. dollar tanks? And that's what's being said. And there's rumors circulating that there's a looming dollar crisis. And why wouldn't there be? Our entire economy was just stopped dead in its tracks. People can't pay for their houses anymore. There's no services. What do you even spend your money on? I can't go to the movies. They've been closed. All the businesses are shutting back down again. California, particularly. So what, what, good, what good is that green picture of a dead president if I can't do anything with it? Now, I, I understand. Look, you can still get your Teslas and you can probably buy a fancy yacht somewhere. Money is still good for something, of course. But if it can do less things, it will be worth less, not worthless. I have to wonder about everything that's been going on with the economy, if there is going to be kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, for the longest time, I've talked about what I, I wished we would do with our managerial power, with our human labor power. And I want I, I wish that we allocated resources towards space travel, technology, you know, human longevity. Instead, we allocate a ton of resources to complete and utter garbage, things we don't need to do. How much money do people spend on getting that extra swing of golf in their digital mobile golf game? How much money do people spend on Candy Crush to get that one extra power up so they can swap a piece of candy and then make a line disappear? A lot of money. And that money, what does it do? Is this really the economic transaction that we should be focusing on? No, not in my opinion. 
I want to see the development of new space age materials. I want to see the development of, uh, you know, I don't know, interstellar travel technologies. I want to see Mars get colonized by humanity. But we would rather play video games. We'd rather buy nachos and go to the movies. Maybe because of this crisis, we will see a curtailing of our own economy in a bad way, and it'll hurt a lot of people. And I recognize that. That's the worst of it. But perhaps there will still be a light at the end of the tunnel. Perhaps something good will still come of it. Maybe we'll, you know, from the ashes of the old, build something better. I know the far left wants communism. Hopefully it's not that. Maybe we can take it in a positive direction. Maybe when all of these unnecessary systems start breaking down, a new economy will emerge based on necessities, things that actually help us. Maybe we'll stop with the, you know, extra golf swing in our mobile game. Unfortunately, I kind of feel like I think because of the remote nature of COVID and all that stuff, we're more likely to get nonsensical economics, more mobile games, more digital, more remote. And maybe that won't be what we need. I don't know for sure, but maybe it'll impact everybody. And maybe this will be a shock to the rest of humanity. Do you know anything about Star Trek, the Star Trek universe? Look, I'll just tell you in Star Trek, they're in this glorious liberal future. That's right. The true sense of the word, not the way it's been mishmashed to mean leftist and Democrat. I mean, actual freedom and post scarcity, no less. The communists try to claim that Star Trek is communist. It's not. But I bring this up for a reason. In the history of the Star Trek universe, there was a period where the entire civilization you know, of humanity was in ruin, economic and total collapse, warring factions, the complete collapse of the United States. But in the end, they were able to come together and create a much better post-scarcity society, recover from this. Maybe we're on track for something like that. Maybe this economic downturn will be the worst of it. But from this, we'll start allocating our resources towards things that are much more important and maybe lead us to that beautiful Star Trek-like future. Well, I can't see the future, so I don't know for sure, but I can hope at least, right? Anyway, I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in just a few minutes, and I will see you all then. Right now, the polls greatly favor Joe Biden. Donald Trump is spiraling. He admits he's losing. The press is just hammering Trump down, saying the beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. We've heard it all before. We heard it in 2016. It wasn't true. And maybe it's not true now. You see, with all this negative press, Unfortunately, the Democrats may have spun themselves into a trap for which they will not be able to escape. And we're hearing it now from the Cook Political Report. Will cancel culture stop Democratic momentum? They have just announced what may be Trump's ultimate weapon. You see, Donald Trump has talked about violence and statues, and they're saying basically, oh, that's wrong. Yes, Donald Trump can focus on these things, but the appropriate thing for Trump to do to win is to target cancel culture and say, they are going to take your job away. They are going to threaten your kids. They're going to claim that everything you do is bigoted. And that scares people. Because right now it's affecting liberal elites. Interestingly, just the other day, Andrew Sullivan and Barry Weiss, very high profile uh, media personalities, I believe both based in New York, announced their resignations from the New York Mag for Sullivan and New York Times for Barry Weiss. This sent a ripple uh, through the media media ecosystem. Barry Weiss, New York Times, was supposed to be bringing, you know, more voices to the table, but said the papers become essentially illiberal and no longer respects free speech. And this was devastating. Of course, the cancel culture proponent said there is no cancel culture and laughed. 
But real Americans are scared of this. And Cook points it out. But the story from Cook was written July 10th, before Barry Weiss's resignation sent shockwaves to the media landscape. They have outlined what may be Trump's greatest weapon. Talk about what scares Americans, that it's the left. In fact, it's many of these Democrat voters. You can call, you can talk about the far left and the violence and all that stuff and the vandalism, but talk about cancel culture because that really scares them. This is their weakness. Donald Trump can say to Joe Biden, the people who support you are trying to hurt these good people of this country. And what can Joe Biden say? I hereby condemn my own voter base. Bad, bad news. Now, you may be saying, how, how prominent is this? This is Cook Political. This is one of the most important and prominent institutions in politics. I want to show you something. We'll read the story. Before we do, check out TimCast.net. Give a shout out to myself. This is my main channel. A lot of people get confused when I mention I have another channel. This is the easiest way to, to, to break this down so you understand. Go to TimCast.net, and that's my main channel. It's got more subscribers, but subscribe. And I put up videos there every day at 4 p.m. Just so you know, I'm trying to you know, deal with the confusion here. Cook Partisan Voting Index from the Cook Political Report. When we talk about, you know, plus 13, plus 16 in a Democratic congressional race, I'm using New Jersey's 9th Congressional District as an example. They say the Cook PVI has it at D plus 16, meaning it leans 16 points in favor of the Democratic Party. That's Cook. That's how important this is. And they're the ones saying, well, potentially. Will cancel culture stop Democratic momentum? Heed these words, Trump supporters. That's the battlefront. That's what scares regular people getting canceled because you will. Let's read. Amy Walter says, as we have seen over the past week, the president is eager to frame this election as a war over the symbols, monuments and statues that celebrate America's historic figures. As a White House aide told The Wall Street Journal the other day, Trump's Mount Rushmore speech was a defense of America's integrity against those who seek to tear it down. Unity was the goal. Unity in preserving our heritage and learning from it. In the past, Trump has been able to stoke racial and cultural animus to his benefit. In 2016, he took, for example, Hillary Clinton's line about some Trump voters being deplorable to effectively cast himself as the champion for a beleaguered white middle class that has been shamed and denigrated by coastal elites. And that's still true. However, there are many reasons to believe this strategy won't work for him this time around. First, he is no longer the outsider, but is instead the president of the United States at a time of a public health crisis. A health crisis, by the way, that a majority of Americans think Trump is mishandling. In 2016, with the economy stable and life in a relatively normal place, it was easy to distract and engage voters with this stuff. Today, however, when 87% of Americans, according to the recent Pew poll, say they are disappointed in the direction of the country. It's hard to scare them into thinking that things will worsen if they vote for former Vice President Joe Biden in the fall. And Biden isn't making himself an easy target either. He was quick to denounce the defund police movement. He also came out in defense of preserving and protecting national monuments dedicated to the founding leaders like Jefferson and Washington. Bottom line is, it's hard to be an effective messenger when just 41% of Americans approve of the job you're doing as president and, over, and just over a third think you are doing a good job handling racial issues. Even so, warns one GOP strategist I spoke with uh, this week. There is real concern among suburban voters about where this so-called cancel culture, or what we called in the old world PCism, is headed. This strategist 
who has been deeply involved in both quantitative and qualitative work with suburban voters across the country, acknowledged that these voters are not interested in preserving Confederate statues or flags. They are sympathetic to Black Lives Matter and supportive of the protests. But this person points out they are also wary of how far this reckoning will go. Over the last week or so, they've raised the question of where does it end? They cringe at reports of statues of Christopher Columbus being tossed into a lake and are upset to read of another public figure fired for a controversial Facebook post that they put up years ago. However, the challenge for Trump in being able to exploit these concerns is that these voters are mostly done with him and think that he makes everything worse. As a messenger, the person said Trump has zero credibility with these suburbanites. In the era of Trump, Democrats have become more and more reliant on suburban voters. But as one Democratic strategist wondered aloud the other day, are Democrats simply renting them until Trump is no longer in office? This GOP strategist argues that one way to lose them is to assume they want to move as far on social, racial and cultural reckoning as many within the Democratic Party and or the left would like to go. And this and this worry of an overcorrection of Trumpism isn't happening only in suburban living rooms and kitchens. Earlier this week, more than 150 prominent artists, they signed what we know as the Harper's, uh, the Harper's letter. This is liberal elites waking up to the fact that you are in the firing line. And now they're getting scared. Those words are from me, by the way. I'm not reading anymore. Yeah, they're getting terrified. The woke outrage is coming for you next. And guess what? Joe Biden will not stop it. Cook can say what they want, but I'll give you my opinion. Let me read you their bottom line. While Trump is a flawed messenger, it doesn't mean that this issue of censoriousness, cancel culture, is irrelevant. Instead, expect to see discussions about it play a significant and potentially starring role in the 2020 campaign, especially if Democrats take full control of the federal government. Yes, that's right. If Democrats win this November across the board, cancel culture will reach a critical mass. You will see liberals panicking as the far left gains more ground. Why? Joe Biden is trying to wield the one ring. That's the, that's the analogy I will use. It's a hill I will die on. I will keep using it. I love it. You see, Democrats have found an opportunity to crush their, oppo- their opponents, the Republicans, get them banned from the internet. So they took the one ring thinking they could wield its power, but they could not. And the far left is now gaining hold. As they wear that ring, it slowly seeps into their arm and starts taking over the body that is the Democratic Party. But they need the power. They can't stop Trump. They must ban his most ardent supporters. It's working for now. But now it's gotten too close to their heart and liberal elites are getting worried. In fact, these liberal elites writing a letter are getting canceled themselves panicking. And now they desperately want to take the ring off. Joe Biden says, no, no, we shouldn't tear down these statues, but it's not it's not working. Not enough. You've made your bed. And what's Biden to do now? Cast the ring off into the fires of Mordor? Maybe not. Maybe it's too late. Maybe now too much of the Democratic Party has absorbed this far left cancel culture mentality and socialist policy. They won't reject it. And Joe Biden's only opportunity now is to condemn and denounce his own voters. They're starting to get worried. Now, how many? I don't know. Perhaps he can stave off some of this. But I imagine what a, what a debate would look like between Trump and Joe Biden. When Donald Trump looks to Biden and says, you have openly embraced the far left, your unity plan with, Joe, uh, with Bernie Sanders, you are welcome these, welcoming these fringe far leftists in. 
And they're targeting good people, taking their jobs and, and, and forcing them into submission. And people are scared. What's Joe Biden going to do? Well, I, I, uh, I'll denounce all of it. I'll denounce that Bernie Sanders plan. I'll get rid of all of these people. He can't. The, the, the far left is a part of the Democratic Party now. They've adopted democratic socialism. Pulling the ring off, it's too late. Why, dare I say, they're becoming Nazgul. Ring, I don't know enough about Lord of the Rings to actually carry on with that analogy. I'm sorry, but you get the point. The infection is there. The far left is a part of this. Cancel culture freaks people out. Trump would be wise to weaponize that. That's what Cook is saying. And they're saying he will. There's a good reason to believe Trump will lose come November. And if you think he's got this one in the bag, you're wrong. I mean, the polls are really lopsided. If it's true what Cook is saying, that Trump is no longer seen as credible on these issues, then people may vote for Joe Biden. I wouldn't do it. I, I, that scares me. That really does. First of all, I'll cast everything aside and say it for the 50 billionth time. Joe Biden means more war in the Middle East. Mark my words. You vote for this man and he will send our troops to war. Is that what you want? Apparently, I've learned the hard way that liberals in this country never actually cared about those issues. Because if you did, your only option right now, I guess, is Donald Trump. But for me, cancel culture is a problem. And Joe Biden does not deserve to win when he's welcoming the far left into the Democratic Party. And these people are extremists who would tear down statues of our greatest heroes and try and get people fired. No, I'm sorry. Joe Biden is too close to the, to the razor's edge. You vote for Joe Biden, you are voting to stand with on a platform of only three inches looking down from 100 stories high, hoping and crossing your fingers that you don't fall. But you can very easily fall because the people down there will be trying to make you fall. And when you do, the far left takes over that party. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. More importantly, Joe Biden is the war candidate just like everyone who came before him. And surprisingly, I'm going to say it, it seems like Donald Trump may be, at least for my, in my lifetime, the one candidate who's actually trying to stop war. That's crazy. I got to say, I didn't ask him to. I didn't even vote for the guy. And here he is trying to do it. That's, that's huge. But I'll leave it there. I don't think anybody cares about the war stuff anymore. I think I was just being tricked for most of my life. The Democrats certainly don't care. That was a lie. And I guess these voters don't care either. Stick around, though. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. In a viral tweet, Byron York, who describes himself as chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor, says the National Museum of African-American History and Culture wants to make you aware of certain signs of whiteness, individualism, hard work, objectivity, the nuclear family progress, respect for authority, delayed ratification and more. And then he links to these images. This is from a website the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, talking about race. And they talk about whiteness and a bunch of other issues. But in this page, also showing, I believe that's the lady from the uh, White Fragility book, they have a graphic. And the graphic explains whiteness and white culture in the United States. This is some of the most shockingly insane and racist things thing I've ever seen. You want to know why? I'm going to read through this to you. We're going to go through what they are calling whiteness. And I am going to take great offense. You see, most of you are probably probably aware that I, I am a second generation mixed race individual, and I am very proud of the Asian side of my family. And I often talk about the things, the struggles they went through. And I take particular offense to the far left claiming that the accomplishments of my ancestors are actually whiteness. 
You see what they say in this individualism, family structure, hierarchy, authority. Those things existed in East Asia as well. Let me tell you a quick story. I was at the Dakota Access Pipeline protest, and I could only be there for a few days because I had a meeting coming up in Los Angeles. And that's a hefty drive from North Dakota to Los Angeles. So I said, unfortunately, I have to leave first thing. And this white far left activist said, nah, that's that's colonial thinking, man. Literally, that's a colonial thinking. I said, what do you mean colonial thinking? That's colonial thinking, you know, schedules. And I was like, what? Col- colonial? What are, you, what, I don't, I don't, what are you talking? He said, white European colonizers. They're the ones who had these ideas of schedules and meetings. The Native Americans, they just work when they need to, when the sun comes up, things like that. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? They had, they had schedules in Asia. They invented many things in Asia well before the Europeans invented them. What are you talking about? And he said this to me, let's be real. You know, China and, and Japan and these countries adopting scheduling that really came because the white Europeans went there and brought it there. And I got mad and told him I will not sit here and listen to a white supremacist degrade, denigrate my ancestry and my culture thinking you invented structures we adopted well before you ever showed up. Now, am I really that angry? Not really. But it is annoying to see these self-righteous far leftists, white progressives tell me that they invented my culture. Are you nuts? Apparently so. And now I bring you to this. These are the kind of things they pass off. White fragility, whiteness, how insanely offensive to basically every single culture on the planet. Check this out. Aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. They say white dominate dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, We have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. I bring you now to rugged individualism. The individual is the primary unit, self-reliance, independence and autonomy, highly valued and rewarded. Individuals assume to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. Amazing. As if none of these concepts existed in any other cultures outside of white cultures, and as if none of these concepts exist in other cultures today that aren't white. Family structure. Now, this is where it gets really offensive. The nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children is the ideal social unit. The husband is breadwinner and head of the household. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Children should have own rooms, be independent. This one strikes me as extremely offensive considering, well, not to be offensive, but the stereotypes of Asian culture and where half of my family came from and the beliefs they had, the family structures, the thing, very offensive to assume that everything I'm supposed to cherish inside of me was actually just whiteness. It's not. It never will be. But you know what it is? It's that certain cultures share certain practices. You know why? Because we are all human. Our our cultures may not be the same. Some may prize certain structures over others. But to tell me that this is whiteness, this is white supremacy, this is left wing white supremacy, telling you, you may be a, a minority of some sort. They're telling you that everything that made you 
your family, your ancestry, your culture was actually just whiteness. Yeah, hard work. When my family got on that boat and said, we're coming to America for a better life. Well, that rugged individualism, family structure and, <laughs> and history. Well, that was all just whiteness. You're telling my, you know, you know what, man? These people are some of the most vile white supremacists I've ever, I've ever had the unfortunate, uh, I've ever had to encounter, put it that way. History based on Northern European immigrants experience in the United States. Sure. You can point out that American history, it's a country founded on European colonialism that I'll agree with you on. And there's a lot of things we can point out. Leif Erikson discovered America, they say. They say Christopher Columbus did. Actually, no, it was Leif Erikson. Actually, to be fair, the Native Americans were already here. That is a good point. But that's actually something we learn too. I mean, you can point that out. Protestant work ethic. Protestant? Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. If you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. Man, I'd like to introduce any of these people to literally Asia. <laughs> Religion. Christianity is the norm. Anything other than Judeo-Christian tradition is foreign. No tolerance for deviation from a single God concept. Okay, now let me point this one out. America is predominantly Christian. We do have a lot of our ideals, English common law, rooted in Judeo-Christian values. But this religion spread around the world. And yes, there was a lot in Asia and Africa uh, uh, that was Christian. Not completely. Right now, you've got, uh, you know, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, and, and Confucius, Confucianism. I'm not sure how you say it. These are very popular in, in Asia. But listen, while it is fair to say that it is considered the norm, the reality is it's just the majority. Ignoring that this country is, was founded by, uh, you know, white European settlers is ridiculous. You don't got to act like it's whiteness. A lot of people adopted these things, but these things also exist in other parts of the world. Here we go. Wealth equals worth. I don't agree with that. Your job is who you are. That I've not heard. Respect authority. Oh, that, 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 one, that one gets me the most. You know why? Because respect authority is the antithesis within reason of what this country was founded on. You see, we had a monarch. We had a British empire and we did not respect their authority. We found it to be quite arbitrary. And we had an ideological revolution in this country in 1776 and well before that the consent of the governed was required for a government to be maintained. So no, we eschewed that authority and said, bite it. We are a rather anti-authoritarian country, so spare me. But check this one out. Planning for the future. I am, <laughs> this is so insane. Time following rigid time schedules. No, that's wrong. You're wrong. People follow schedules all over the world. This is so, I, I, I'm sorry, man. This is triggering to say the least. Aesthetics based on European culture, steak and potatoes. <laughs> what? Bland is best that I'm not aware of. And you know what? I went to Thailand once. Awesome place. They got amazing street food. Be careful though. And I asked uh, my friend who was with me to take me to real Thai food. Because in America, what do you get? In America, you get this fatty, sugary, salty snack. You order pod Thai. Very delicious, but come out, it's drenched in oil. You order pizza, it's covered with spices and oil. In the United States, bland is best. That is, that is the opposite of true. I'm sorry. We load salt on everything. It's ridiculous. And we're suffering because of it. Now, over in Thailand, I asked my friend to show me real Thai food. And he brought me to a real restaurant. And guess what they served? It was just steamed chicken with rice. 
not really much flavor at all. Regular people just ate some meat, some beans, and some rice. That was it. I went to Brazil and I told my friend, I'd like real Brazilian food. And he said, okay. And he brought me to a place. You know what it was? I think it's called churrasco. They have like meat on a stick and they cut it in front of your plate. And it was just meat and rice. Now, of course, they have particular specialty dishes that are more flavorful. But for the most part, people just eat rice and meat, some beans, steak and potatoes, bland is best. Who says that? What is this? I, I, I don't. I go for the spice. Uh, the, the, you know, the, we, we fought. OK, we, we listen. Wars were literally fought over making food taste better. Just ask the East India Trading Company company. Does saffron ring a bell? This is just so factually wrong and racist. Justice is based on English common law. Yeah, around the world. And I'm glad it is. Competition be number one when it all costs. You know what, man? Holidays, aesthetics, communication, the King's English written tradition. Written tradition exists in other parts of the world. Avoid conflict. Don't show emotion. (laughs) I love that one. I would love for you to meet some of my Asian family members and talk about not showing emotion. Don't discuss personal life and be polite. I tell you what, whatever they, you know what, you know what really bothers me is that in the United States, there is a white majority. So you can call it majority privilege, but there really is. You know, when you grow up in an area where everyone is very culturally, culturally and ethnically homogenous, you do have certain privileges in that. Now, the Asian community in this country is quite small, but often what they point at is negatively impacting the Asian community, like affirmative action, taking Asians out of these schools because there's too many is deeply offensive to me for who I am and what it means to my kids and my potential you know, future spouse or whatever. I shouldn't have to think like that. These people are overt racists. And what we're seeing with this right here, let me just explain it to you. And you can share this with people. This is white supremacy. These people are white supremacists, not in the sense that the average person might think, but it's some kind of white supremacy where they tell everyone that everything they know, everything they do and hold dear is actually whiteness. I take deep offense to that because of what I learned from my family did not come from Europe. In fact, much of it came from East, Southeast Asia. And when it came to my dad's side of the family, he was just an American. So many of his values, sure. But no, you can't just do this. There's credit to go around math and time. The numerals we use for time, they're Arabic numerals. No, what we have in this country is a great melting pot. And these people seek to destroy that because they're racists. I love what this country is, and I will not let them tear it down. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. I'll see you then.